If you have your Bibles tonight, we're interested in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. We've been studying through this book. This now begins the third chapter. In every chapter we have saw that Paul, being our writer, led of the Holy Ghost, has mentioned something about the second coming of the Lord. And this church was begun on Paul's second missionary journey. And he preached there for three Sabbath days. And they, so many people got saved. And then there became so much resistance and rejection that Paul had to leave under the color of nighttime. And now he's in a city called Athens. And he's concerned about how things are going back out in Thessalonica. And he's going to send Timothy to go check on things. Have you ever been worried about something? Maybe one of your kids and, and, and they was gone and you heard a siren and you got worried about your kid. Ever happened to you? Am I the only one that's ever happened to? Amen. And you, and you get worried, what, how's things going? Well, well, Paul has a bunch of children. He has a flock over in Thessalonica and he's in a new wicked city called Athens. I want us to pick up the story. We're going to preach on this thought tonight. The church on the increase. The church ministry on the increase. You know, our church ministry, it's on the increase. You say, now Pastor Darren, the pandemic's cut everybody back. It's on decrease. Oh, but the closer you get to the Lord, you're getting on the increase. Amen? Hey, John the Baptist had a bunch of people that used to follow him. And all of a sudden they came to him and said, John, they're not following you anymore. They're following a man named Jesus. And John said, hey, he must increase and I must decrease. We need to be a church that has ministry that's on the increase because we're looking to him. Amen. Notice with me, that's exactly what takes place in this wonderful chapter. Now, again, we're setting the stage. Paul is in Athens and we're going to pick up the reading in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and send Timotheus our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. So point number one, you have to have determination in the ministry. Now, Paul, he's got a watch that's going on here. And it's a fervent watch. He's, some people are watching and they're taking naps and they're snoozing. But his watch is fervent. Do you remember what he said in the last chapter? Look at with me in verse 18. He said, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul said, I want to come back and preach to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to share more of the gospel with you. But every time I tried to get there, something happened and Satan is hindering us from doing what we'd like to do. Have, am I the only one here that what might say that there's been times that I felt like Satan hindered me from doing what I needed to get done? I needed to witness. I needed to make a call. I, I needed to go see. But something happened to deter me from, there's a time I was supposed to go preach somewhere. And it just didn't, I'm telling you, the devil, the prince and the power of the air, he'll do all he can to hinder. In fact, tonight, are you looking at me? Tonight while I'm preaching, he's going to do everything he can to distract you and get you away from hearing anything that I have to say. 
He'll get you looking at the back of somebody's head. He'll, listen, when I was a young boy, they used to put a number board out here to say how many was in Sunday school, how much the offering was. Y'all remember them days? Yes, sir. And you know what I'd do as a young boy? I was such a deadhead. I would come in there and say, well, is there a one on the board? There's a one on the board. Is there a two on the board? There's a two on the board. Is there a three on the board? There, there's one three. There's, there's four fours. And, I'd, ever, and I'd, I'd say, last week we didn't have an eight. What if we're going to have an eight this week? I wasn't hearing the preacher. I was looking at the numbers on the board. The devil's hindered me. Look up. I start counting the lights. Well, there's one this way, one that way. There's so many that way. We got some out. We got some on. And I, that's what I do. And you know why I did it? The devil hindered me from hearing the gospel until one night when the Holy Ghost said, hey, Bubba, pay attention. Jesus loves you. And you're going to die and go to hell while you're counting the numbers on the board and the lights on the ceiling sitting on the pew on your way to hell. You better hear tonight. And that night, I got gloriously born again. Paul said, I want to come to you, but I can't because Satan's hindering me. Now you may say, as I did, I wonder what hindered him. I wonder what it was. What was it? Was it the Amtrak wasn't running? I mean, what hindered him? It doesn't say what it was. So it fits all of us. Every one of us, for various reasons, get hindered at times. And Paul uses the word to start the chapter, wherefore. Wherefore. When you see that word, you need to say why it's there. Why it's therefore. Why it's wherefore. Why, what is it? It's because Satan's hindering. He said, I could no longer forbear. What does that word mean? It's a deep passion that he has. It means to conceal. It means to hold out. It means to endure. Paul in Athens is concealing his burden, his worry, his concern for the people at Thessalonica. He, he's, he's, he's held it back as long as he could. Have you ever went about your day worried absolutely to death about something and you didn't speak of it, but in your mind it was dominating you? Has it went on for a day or for a week or maybe for two or three weeks or more and it dominated your every decision? It, you, you couldn't even think straight. You, you, you couldn't talk right. You, it just dominated you. Paul said, I got to the point that I could no longer forbear. I couldn't conceal it anymore. The burden got so heavy for those people at Thessalonica. Why, preacher Darren? Because remember, he preached there three Sabbath days and they run him off. What's happening to them now? How are they being treated now? Has the persecution continued? Has the church quit? Has it completely stopped? He doesn't have Facebook. He doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have Instagram. He, he can't get a message through. I've got to know how they're doing. I'm worried absolutely to death. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send Timotheus. That's his right-hand man. And he said, I'm going to stay in Athens alone. It got so fervent, his watch, his prayer. It got so burdensome for him. Have you ever, oh, help me, Lord. Have you ever been so concerned about somebody's soul that all you could do was just weep your way to God and beg God to speak to him and beg God to convict him and to draw him one more time? Amen. You ever been there? Man, I've been there under such conviction and, and, and begging God, me under conviction. Oh, God, I've not prayed enough. God, I've not witnessed enough. Oh, God. And listen, and just to see them finally walk the aisle and get saved. 
Ooh, it just did something for me. Not that I did it, but what he did, and I give him glory and honor for it. Now, here's Paul with this fervency, and he said, I'm going to send Timotheus. I'm going to be left alone without human assistance. I'm got, he's got bad eyesight. He's in an idolatrous city. It's a new place. It's very unsafe for the man of God to be left in this idolatrous place alone. But he said, I'm so worried I'd rather be alone and send Timothy to find out how things are going and then come back to me. I, I, I'd rather be alone as to go through what I'm going through right now. So he has a witness, a fellow laborer. He says, he calls him our brother, a minister of God, a brother. That means born from the same womb, born by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our minister and minister of God and our fellow laborer. Look at that word, fellow laborer. It means they're working together and in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Can I tell you what Paul said? I want you to see this. In Philippians chapter two, you've got to see this. Philippians chapter two, I want to read in verse number 19. As he's writing to the church at Philippi, look what he says about Timothy. In another text, he said that Timothy was his own son in the faith. He sent his own son in the faith to check on how they were doing in Thessalonica. Look what else he says about Timothy, how valuable he was. Philippians chapter two, verse number 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Here's our word. For I have no man like-minded. Like-minded. The word means to have the same soul, to have the same heart, to have the same burden. No man that's like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He said, I'm sending the best that I know to care for you and to check on you, Thessalonica. Now, go back to our text. Paul has a watch of fervency. He sends the witness of a fellow laborer. He wants to know about the well-being of the flock. Verse 3, that no man should be removed by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed there unto. Here's what he's saying. I want to know, have they quit? Are they still serving God? I mean, can you imagine how difficult it would be? Think about it. If you come to a place and you get saved and the minister, the pastor invests three weeks in you and then your pastor gets run off, that would be pretty difficult to continue serving and continue being faithful to that place if your pastor just got chased out of town. Because if they chased him off, they're probably going to chase you off too. And he said, I don't want you to be removed by these afflictions. I don't want you to quit because of these hardships. The word affliction means to press hard upon. It's a very discouraging experience. I'm going to leave an amen right here. We are going through a very discouraging experience called the pandemic. It has not been an easy time. People are under pressure and stress like never before. Not to mention now we're in a war. I mean, our, our own country has had to pull two embassies out of foreign countries in a year. Hello, 
Something's gotta be wrong with that. That's a burden. We've never seen a time like this and we need to keep serving God. Preachers are quitting. Christians are giving up. Hear me, we've got to stay with Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is what I think he's saying, separation will try you. You remember when we couldn't have 10 people in the building? And we decided we'd go outside and we'd have church like a drive-in movie outside. We called it Backyard Baptist. Y'all remember those days? And there was a separation that took place. We couldn't sing in the choir. We couldn't shake hands. We couldn't fellowship. We couldn't worship like we once did. We had to find a new way to do it. That separation was very trying. You go ahead and see how it works out. A long distance relationship between you and your love. Separation will try you. Verse four, suffering will trouble you. Verse four, for verily when we were with you we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and you know he talked about affliction he talked about hardship and sure enough they read him out of town and what did he do wrong he preached the gospel he loved their soul the only thing he did was love them jesus said john 16:33 in the world you shall have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world Job said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and, of, and full of trouble. I believe Paul told him, you need to focus on the Savior and not on the storm. In fact, that's where we started tonight. We need to focus on the Savior and not on our circumstances, not on our storm. We need to look to Jesus. Things will be different. Not only suffering of trouble, but look with me in verse five. We see Satan's trying to tempt them. For this cause, when I could... No longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter having tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul called him the tempter. In fact, did you know that when Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, the Bible said the tempter came. The tempter, has he ever come to you? The tempter came to Jesus and Jesus rebuked him with the word of God and defeated the wiles of the devil and got victory. And if you're saved and Jesus lives in you, you can get victory over the tempter as well. Doesn't mean we always will, but we could. Think about how the tempter influenced the thinking of Simon Peter. The Lord said, I'm going to be crucified. Going to be betrayed in the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And it's okay, I'm going to rise again on the, on the third day. And Peter said, no, far be it from thee, Lord. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Amen. Satan influenced the thinking of Simon Peter, one of Jesus' very own disciples. In fact, another time Jesus said, Simon Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But I prayed for thee. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, tribulations, they result in suffering and troubles and hardships. Hey, the world, how's it gonna respond? Look at how it, how it responds. Violence, cursing, rioting. But how are we supposed to respond? Oh, I'm telling you, I, I, I seen a man the other day with a sign 
that said if Jesus comes back, we'll crucify him again. There's something wrong with that statement, right? You didn't crucify him the first time. He allowed it to be done. He laid down his life. He said, I had power to lay down my life and I had power to pick it back up again. Had power to take it up again. Amen. Thank God for it. The child of God, when we get in great stress, we're going to respond in faith. So there's got to be a determination in the ministry. Paul's determined to find out about them and they're determined to get through suffering and Satan's tempting and to get through the separation. Point number two. There is the delight in the ministry. Look at verse number six. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us. Ooh, what was the word? What did Timothy have to say? He brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. You know what he brought? He brought an excellent report. Now, Paul knew something. I want to read out of the book of Acts chapter 20. Paul was afraid, and he knew, that when he was chased away under the cover of darkness, and he would have, well, preacher, why would he leave? I'll tell you why he left. They had taken Jason and other believers, and they had arrested them and threatened them, and they said, if Paul will leave, We'll let you go. And Paul said, rather than making Custer's last stand here, I will quietly leave and go to another place and preach and watch what the seed of the gospel that I've preached does. And voila, it came up. And manifold people were saved everywhere. That's why he left. He's burdened. And he knows when he's away, you know, a lot of times when the man of God, when the, when, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Acts chapter 20, verse number 29. He's getting ready to leave. He's warning the Ephesian believers in this text. Look at it. He said, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Acts 20, verse 29. Paul knew to the church at Ephesus grievous wolves would come, but he needed to leave as the Lord led him. And he warned them. At Thessalonica, when he leaves after three weeks of preaching, he's worried, he's concerned that grievous wolves, uh, ravenous wolves, are going to enter in and destroy that little church. And he eagerly awaits Timothy coming back. And when he sees him, Timothy, young Timothy, my brother in the faith, how are things in Thessalonica? And he said, Paul, all things are well. It is well with their soul. I've got a, look at, the, look at the exact wording here. He says, good tidings. Do you know what the gospel's called? The good news. Amen. It's called good news. It's good tidings. He, he preached the gospel and now the good tidings have returned to him that they have faith, they have charity, they remember us, they're continuing in the faith. They love the Lord. They love the church. They love their pastor. They love those around them. There is an excellent report. In fact, look at verse 7. Paul gets this word back, and what he was so worried about turns into encouragement. He's encouraged by the results. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, 
we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. Paul said, here I was worried. And when I got word back, when I got word back, I was not worried or fearful. I was encouraged. I was comforted. I was blessed. It helped me. It gave me assurance what's going on in your congregation. Have you ever went to check on someone and you went there to try to encourage them or to pray with them and when you left, you were the one encouraged? When you left, you were the one that got help. Not that you didn't help them, but they helped you. What about that? Amen? And so here, Paul is encouraged because of their faith. Now, what was it about their faith that encouraged Paul? It's who their faith was in. Their faith's in God, and that encourages him. You remember the disciples? They got in a storm, and youngins were in one. And in the storm, Jesus asleep on the back of the boat. They rowed and rowed and rowed, set sail and set sail, throwed things overboard. They did all they needed to do because they were fishermen. They were sailors. They'd been in storms before, but not like this one. And they went to the back of the boat and said, Master, they had to wake him up. Carest thou not that we perish? I mean, here we are in a pandemic and you asleep. Here we are in a storm and you asleep. Oh, honey, he ain't asleep. Oh, he's in control. That's what he's in, amen. He got up. He rebuked winds and waves and he said to them, where's your faith? Now listen to me. He didn't say, if you had this much faith or a foot deep faith or a mile deep faith. No, he said, where's your faith? Your faith is lacking. Here's the whole point. Who's your faith in? Is your faith in science, America? Is your faith in religion, America? Is your faith in some leader, in some politician? Is your faith in a president? Is your faith in a Supreme Court? Is your faith in our military? Is your faith in might and power? We got your faith in the wrong thing. Your faith must be placed in Jesus Christ. Not in a church, not in a pastor. Your faith must be placed in Jesus Christ. Mm, boy, I felt that go out right there. Now think about it. What Jesus is looking for is who they place their faith in. And Paul is encouraged because they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it causes him now to have not only encouragement, but he has enthusiastic rejoicing. I believe he cried. I believe he shouted. I believe he got on his knees and thanked God. I think he took time and raised his hands and praised God. I think however you would praise God, I think he did every bit of it. Because look with me in verse number eight. He's got enthusiastic rejoicing. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. He said, your walk of faith causes me to have Life. It breathes revival and refreshment into me. It's a blessing as a pastor. When you look around, you see people that get what you're saying. They nod their head at you. They say amen, throw their hand up at you every now and then. That's a blessing to see. And sometimes if you had to get up and see what the pastor sees, 
you might want to quit too. You see people honest sitting there on their phones and you wonder, well, they, are, they, are, they really, are they really checking the scripture? Are they looking at the weather report? Are they looking at Fox News or CNN? What are they doing? Why? Listen, my nephew, he came to church. He walked through our back door right back there with his mother and his sister. And when I saw him come in, I was so thankful because I'd been inviting him to church and he came to church. I was so thankful to see him. But he had earplugs in, hooked to some type of a electric apparatus, and I could hear music going boogity 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 boo. And he came into church that way. And I wanted to rip his blessed earbuds out. And he had in his Bible a book, Frankenstein or Dracula, one of them. And I thought most people come with a Bible. Most people come to hear the choir and to hear the preaching. And I said, Lord, God said, leave him alone. I said, but God, how is he going to get saved if he can't? God said, leave him alone. I said, but Lord, he said, flesh and blood will not reveal it to him. Flesh and blood didn't reveal it to me. And flesh and blood won't reveal it. You think it's going to be you getting a hold of him? No, I'm going to do it. You just preach. You get up there and you do what I told you to do. You preach. Well, he's not going to hear a thing. It's okay. I'm going to do something. <laughs> so I walked away, shook his hand, hugged his neck, thanked him for coming, and he sat down and it bothered everybody around him. So I went to the pulpit and I preached. And I preached again the next week. And I preached again the next week. And finally his mother busted a move off the pew and landed right here in the altar. And she said, Darren, I've lied to you. I've told you I saved, but I've never been saved. Will God forgive me? Will he save me? And right here, church, right here, that girl got saved. And that morning, 11 other people, there were 12 people that got saved on one Sunday morning. That boy didn't hear a thing I said but he saw his mama get saved. Amen. We came back on Sunday night and in the prayer room I asked them in, I said, fellas, I want you to pray because usually when you have a good service on Sunday morning, the devil shows up Sunday night to try to hinder him. You know, that's why he's trying to defeat me tonight while I'm preaching. And I said, I want you to pray extra hard that God had just put a wall of grace around us and let me just preach and let God have his way. And 13 more people got saved that night. We line them up from one, y'all remember the service, some of you do. We line them up from one side of the, the altar to the other side of the altar, shoulder to shoulder, and one by one they said, the Lord has just saved me. Weeping and crying and testified, God has just saved me, God has just saved me, God has just saved me. And the boy didn't hear a word I'd said, but he saw that. I look back when people were testifying, he pulled his earbuds out. And he paid attention to what his mama said, God saved me this morning. And I just want to thank him and I just want to praise him. Well, we hugged everybody's neck and I went standing back there to shake hands. And my wife said, honey, we got a problem. I said, what now? 25 people got saved and we got a problem? The life of a Baptist preacher, this is ridiculous. She said, it's Cam. He's went down this back hallway back here. I'm pointing to it. And he is mad. He slammed the door. He is very upset. I thought, what in the world? I went walking down through there and I said, Cam, what is it? 
He said, Uncle Darren, is this real? All this stuff that you've been saying and them people singing and them people saying they got saved, is this real? He was sitting in the windowsill, had his earbuds around his neck and his book in his hand. And I said, I don't know, Cam, you tell me if it's real. I mean, tell me about Muhammad. Tell me about Confucius. Tell me about Buddha. And he told me all about him. Very smart young man. He wants to work for NASA one day. And I said, tell me about Jesus. He said, good man, good teacher, leader of the Jews. But they crucified him. And I said, son, did he speak to you today? That's all I asked him. He threw his book in the floor and took his ear bobs from around his neck and threw them in the floor. God help me. He laid it out on all fours just like this. And he said, Uncle Darren, he spoke to me today. And dead people don't talk. He spoke to me right here and said, I need to be saved too. I've been such a skeptic. My daddy, he, he's from another country. He don't believe any of this stuff. And he told me better. But he said, something's telling me that I need to be saved. And right down that hallway, that boy gave his life to the Lord. When he opened that door up, he didn't slam it. He opened it up and he came out and he said, praise the name of Jesus. And all these people gathered him in their arms and they started shouting. And his mama had a spell. And then his little sister took off running. And she landed in my arms and she said, Uncle Darren, if God saved Camden, do you think he can save me too? <laughs> and he saved her too. And it's not been too many months ago that their sister called me one night after a service was over and she said, Uncle Darren, I need to be safe too. And she got safe watching our online service. And if you're watching right now, honey, I love you. Thank God for you. You getting saved. You have encouraged my faith. You have encouraged my walk with Jesus. And I appreciate your walk with the Lord. It's a blessing for me to get to see you as a people walking with the Lord, seeking His face, praying and, and, and praising Him and serving Him every day. That's a blessing for me to watch. You encourage me when you say amen. You encourage me when you show up for church. You encourage me when you get behind the preaching. And that's what Paul said. He said, I've got some enthusiastic rejoicing going on because of what God's doing. The devil couldn't stop it. Satan hit, oh, glory to God, thank you, Lord. Satan hindered it. But he couldn't stop it. Well, that'll preach all day, amen. He's been trying to hinder that boy from hearing me preach, but flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him. God got a hold of him. And tonight while I'm preaching, hey, the devil's trying to hinder me from getting through to you. But you listen, God is speaking to your heart. God's encouraging you. Honey, it's a God thing, and you can't get away from him, amen. Think, hey, the devil may hinder it, but he cannot stop it. Amen. Whoopee. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your faith and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He knows. He's only been with them three weeks. He knows they've got more to grow. He knows they've got a ways to go. They need to mature in the faith. He knows all, I get tore up, I can't help it. He knows all about it. But he said, I'm praying night and day. You see the fervor, the, 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 the burden that he has for his people. Whew. 
thirdly, and I'll be done. There's the dependence of the ministry. Now, I'm not talking about tax deductions. I'm not talking about your tithe report and your little offering sheets and, and, and what you pledge to give the mission. I'm not talking about that. Your dependence is in the Lord. You understand that we as people, we are feeble. We are inept. We, we are fragile. There ought to be a big sign around my neck that says, Handle with care. Danger, still under construction. I'm still working on him. They ought to put the cones on Burleson Hill around my house, amen? Uh, he's under construction right now. I'm still working on him, amen? amen. But now you hear me. He will oh, go to God. The Lord wants you and I to depend on him. One time I was getting ready to preach and I was at the sink and I was trying to to hold water in my hand. I'm making a mass mess, sister, I'm so sorry. But I'm just trying to see how much water I can hold in my hand. And I found out that I could hold, I don't know how big your hand is, but I can hold two teaspoons full of water. And when I put the third teaspoon full of water in my hand, it starts going through the webbing in my fingers. That's all I can, that's, and my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm studying. She said, you look like to me a man playing in the water. I said, oh, no, I'm studying. My Bible says that God, in the hollow of his hand, measured the waters. He measured the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Indian, the Gulf, the Mediterranean, the Aegean, and the mud hole in your front yard. And he didn't spill a drop. That's how big his hand is. And you come to me with your problems and I can't do two teaspoons about your problems. That's, I'm just going to admit it. That's all I can help you with. But I know somebody whose hand is big enough who measured the waters in his hand and didn't spill a drop. His hand is big enough to handle your problems and my problems. His hand is big enough to be crucified on the cross shed his blood and take death, hell, and the grave on the third day and get victory over them and he's big enough to save your soul and forgive you of your sins. Honey, my God is big enough. Paul says to this God, I'm a depending on you, Lord. He's, a couple things he says. He's asking for a directed path. Look with me in verse 11. Now God himself and our Father... And our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way unto you. This way saying, God, will you direct my paths? Anybody here say, God, I need you to direct my paths. I need your help, Lord. I'm bad at making choices. I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to run a stop sign. I'm afraid I'm going to turn the wrong way at the intersection. Lord, I need you to guide me. I need divine assistance. I need the favor of God. God, will you direct my path? There may be a young person. There may be an elderly person tonight that said, God, I've been saved for years. Or Lord, I ain't never been saved. But God, the one thing I need is I need you to direct my path. And you're going to have to do it because I miss it so bad. You're going to have to do it. Lead me in a plain path. Show me so that I know that I know, just like Cam. Show me that I know that I know. I need God to give me direction. I want to say this. This church, the Bible says that we should 
always be in prayer. We should, we should not ever cease praying. But what that means is you may not always be in your knees in prayer, but we always need to be in the spirit of prayer. So, so that when somebody needs us to pray, as we're coming hurriedly across the parking lot, that we can stop and pray and get directly through to the throne of God. It's very important that, that you and I see we need a directed path. In verse 12, Paul prays for the church. He prays for deeper passion. And I pray this today for this church, for deeper passion. Preacher, what does that mean? And the Lord make you to increase. There's a word. A church with a ministry on the increase. The Lord make you to increase. Increase in what? Increase in money? No. To, to, to increase in, in wealth and riches and fame and fortune? No, no. To increase and abound in love. Well, if you see a church that really loves one another. Let's say, Pastor Darren, attendance is down in, a, in so many places. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Some of those places I don't want to go either. Right? Good friend of mine, he was asked to come to, he was asked to come to a church that they'd run the preacher off, they was fussing and fighting, and he sat on the back row that day and they was in a fight that morning. And finally they got up about eleven thirty and said, Preacher, where's the preacher at? Oh, it must be you. Come on up. And he got up there and this is what he said. He said, Lord, I've never been here. And right now I don't I'm wondering if you've ever been here either. This is not the place to fuss and fight. This is a place to come together in love. That fussing and fighting they're doing on TV and all that, that, that's the world, but it ought not to be in the house of God. He said, I want you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men, even as we do toward you. You understand that the greatest stabilizer in this world is love? Love will make you strong. Paul said there's charity, which is love. Uh, there's faith, hope, and charity. These three. That's the three greatest. But the greatest of these is love. It's charity. It's love. It's love in action. That's what our churches are missing. Love. Preacher Darren, you've been preaching a series on love, and here you go. It's love, y'all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's about love. Paul prayed for an increase of love. Look, he didn't even pray for an increase of faith. Read it again. Most times we say, God help my faith. He prayed, God give them an increase and cause them to abound. That's like a waterfall that runs over the top, cascading, cause them to have love. You know what we need in our church? Love. More love and much love. We need love, a deeper passion. And lastly, there's a desired plan. To the end, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming, there it is again, the second coming, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Paul wants them to experience the fullness of love and the fullness of walk with God. This is not a people that's without hope. I look around tonight and I go place to place and talk to people on the phone and I'm dealing with a lot of people that they don't have hope. They don't have hope. Do you know that you can live, I think it's three days without water. 
before you die. Maybe four. You can live a long time without food. You, you, can, you can hold your breath and you can live for a few minutes. Just to, some, Go ahead and hold your breath right now. Preacher, I'm going to try. That's Satan hindering you. Some of you held your breath while I preached. Some of you held your breath on your mom and your daddy. How'd that work out for you? Don't work, does it? You may live a few minutes without breathing, but you won't live a second without hope. You've got to have hope. And the hope that he wants them to have is not in this world. The hope is in the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is coming. And if you look at what's happening in the world in which we live, he is coming. When I was a little boy, I heard my preacher preaching about Iraq and Iran, and I was like, who is that? I don't know. And now they're on the news every day. He talked about Russia having a hook put in her jaw and being drawn. And guess what? The hook is set. And the drawing is happening. It's in our times right now. I've got to move on. I'd like to say so much more. There is absolutely, Paul wants them to know, there's absolutely no reason for them to live a defeated life. He wants them to know the Lord is coming, the saints are going to be resurrected, and we can enjoy the fullness of God. Well, I just want to read another verse. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul himself is facing death. Nero, I believe it was, is ready to chop his head off. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, some of the last words that he writes, he says, I'm ready now to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. You ever went down to the airport and watched them big boards up there and it says, just arrived, now departing, just arrived, and, and then you see delayed. Oh, Lord. Then you see canceled. Oh, Lord. And that, those are some of the worst words. But I'm going to tell you something. Our God, for every departure, he has an arrival. He's never lost one. He's never had a crash. He'll never lose one. Paul said, the time of my departure, I was waiting on my ride. <laughs> He's coming to get me. It's at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. You there? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 8. Look at this. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only. That got my attention. Not to me only, but unto, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You're not going to see me holding a sign saying if he comes back, I will crucify him again. Honey, he's coming back. And he's not coming back to be crucified. He's coming back to conquer. He's coming back to take over. And he will. And I promise you the thing about a church, it needs to have a ministry that's on the increase. An increase of love and an increase in our walk with the Lord, an increase of our focus being on the Lord. George Mueller had an orphanage, great man of God. He had an orphanage, and they had about 300 children in the orphanage. And it was time for them to go to eat. They had just gotten up. They were starved to death. Imagine having the task of feeding 300 hungry children 
every day. And the lady that was over the cafeteria of the home, she came and said, uh, Preacher, we don't have any food. We have no provisions. I knew it last night and I prayed all night. We have no provisions. You know what he did? Preacher, I bet he called the president. No, he might have called the governor. I bet he called the county seat and the mayor to get some assistance from, from the government to help take care of them children. I bet that some of, the, some of the people, no, he said seat the children at their table. And the ladies, what? Seat the children at the table. And Preacher Mueller got up and began to thank God for his provision before the meal. And they had nothing to eat. And about that time, a knock came to the door. And the lady opened her eye and began to peek like some of us do while somebody's praying and ran to the door to open it. And the man said, Ma'am, I'm sorry, but my milk truck has just broken down in front of the orphanage and all this milk is going to spoil because I can't get the parts on time. Could y'all use 10 of these great big things of milk? He'd just thank God for what he didn't even have and God brought it right in. Oh, but wait, there's more. You know, you watch them things on TV. It says for $19.99 you can get this, but wait, there's more. We'll give you two if you'll call right now. Listen, there's more. There came another knock at the back door. It was the bread man. He said, my truck's broke down at back. I can't take all this back with me. I need to offload it on carts right here. Y'all can eat whatever you can. Glory to God, the Lord provided milk and bread on the spot. And you tell me that God can't? You tell me that God will? Honey, God can. His hand's big enough to do it. He can save your soul. He can overcome your obstacles. He can defeat your doubts and your fears, honey. Tonight, we need to be a church with a ministry on the increase and go around and say, my God can and my God will. You'll stand to your feet. Your head bows to my looking. Father, tonight, how do you want us to conclude? Not by plan, your plan. God, not my will, your will. Not how I see fit, how you see fit. God, what should I do? How to conclude the service? God, are you dealing with hearts? God, is there a need? Oh, Father, show us. You keep your head bowed. I'm going to say tonight, if you're here tonight, just say, Preacher Darren, I've had a real wrestling match with doubt and fear. I've had a real wrestling ma match over my health. I've had a wrestling match over, over just having faith. I, uh, Preacher Darren, I, I'm having a hard time loving somebody right now. Preacher Darren, I need to be saved. Preacher Darren, I need to get some things right. Your head's about nobody's looking. Nobody. Just me and the Holy Ghost. Pastor Darren, will you pray for me? Because I have an issue. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you and you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. God sees the hand. Anybody else? We're going to pray. God bless you, sis. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, you can put your hand back down. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Now I'm going to pray. You hear me. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. If you need to come to the altar, if you want to, you come. I'm not asking you. I'm not making you. Father, you know the need tonight. Father, it's great. You know our doubts. You know our fears. You know our burdens. You know our worries. Tonight, God, I pray over this little flock that's gathered on this little hillside in this county of North Carolina. And God, you that made the vast galaxies and things and stars that are greater than the sunshine that we know, God, would you work things out for your glory in their lives. God, there are needs tonight that are great. And Father, I pray you'd start with love. Increase our love. And help us, God, in our walk with you. God, help us to learn, like Pastor Mueller, that we can praise you because we trust that you're going to take care of us. Oh, God, I love you and I praise you tonight, God. You know the need that we have. And Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters that had their hands raised. And if there's one, maybe they're online, maybe they're in the house of God, and they've never been saved. Oh, they've tried it. They've called and they responded, but it was never a response of faith in the Lord. And faith, not an amount of faith, who it's in. And tonight, God, I pray you'd help them, God, not to put their faith in a preacher, not to put their faith in a church, but to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, keep them then. Just as you kept that church at Thessalonica from the wilds of the world and the wolves coming to get them and raven upon them, God, help us, Lord. Jesus is coming soon, and I ask your blessing. God, would we have your ear? God, would we have your heart? God, would we have your attention for just a moment? Help us, oh God. Meet the need of the hour, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, we pray, and we give you thanks, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, we pray.